0: Welcome to the Mentel Podcast. I'm Ben Jenkins. Spoiler alert, for now, this is going to be our final episode. I feel like we've covered a lot on this first season of Mentel, and it feels fitting that for this final run, I talk about my experience, about role models, masculinity, trauma, and resilience. We've heard from some amazing blokes, the teachers, the students, the coaches, the mentors, the changemakers, the list goes on but we wanted to frame it with a story from an everyday dude. Me. We all share the same experience of being a man in this modern world but how we experience that is different for every bloke and by sharing our journeys and experiences we can inspire each other and remind each other that however we experience it it's not just okay, it's brilliant. We can truly take heart from the growth in challenging times, inspiration from each other's triumphs and learn from the work we each do to stay on top of our game so Let's pick up the conversation.
1: Being the strong one, being the protector and, and being a real man, like how do you feel like that stuff
0: affects you? It took another moment in my life for me to really wake up and it hit me like that. It was really one of those moments where it just kind of hit me like a bolt out of the blue. Yeah. After our episode with Mike Dyson from Good Blokes Co., I wanted to invite Mike back on Mentel to interview me. It just felt like the perfect fit. We covered a lot in the hour that we spoke, and I hope you find something in this for you. So, here's Mike's chat with me. Mike, thanks so much for coming back onto the podcast to interview me. Absolute pleasure to be back, for sure. It's a bit interesting for me because it's very, it's very kind of different. I'm usually I- interviewing people I have done on the, on the podcast, so it's uh, interesting to be on the other side. So let's see how we go.
1: The table's a turned. So the, the first thing that comes to me in terms of exploring your story is I, I'd love to hear what childhood was like for you. What, what were you like as a, as a young lad? What was important in your life? What was exciting in your life? Take me back to the childhood. Tell us the story back then.
0: Mm. Good questions. I like that. What was, what was important? What was exciting? So I was actually born in the UK in the seventies, mid seventies, and I have a twin brother. Interestingly, there was always two of us. I always had a mate, which was fabulous. And people often ask me, you know, what was it like growing up being a twin? And I just say, well, I didn't know any different. So I was kind of blessed, you know, I was blessed in, in that regard to have a pal alongside me all the way. Yeah. You know, life was, was pretty good. Sometimes I do have trouble recollecting back that far, but like the the memories that come in really strong are tobogganing sort of down the little slope out the back of the house. Uh, It used to snow in our backyard and and around. I can remember learning to ride my bike in the backyard with my brother and, and my dad. My dad teaching me how to ride a bike by not really putting the training wheels on, but just getting on the grass and riding around, and falling off and stacking all the time and, and getting up and having another crack. Yeah. I think he thought that was the the best way to go about it. And, you know, I, I have fond memories of that. Another great memory I have with my old man is 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 uh, sitting on his lap in the car while we were driving around a paddock. I can remember doing that and and just thinking wow, this is awesome. And they're the real fond memories I have of my father. He was, you know, very engaged when we were younger. And then my parents decided to move us to Australia uh, when I was around eight years old. You know, I don't remember that being traumatic or anything at the time. You know, we were just in like kindergarten or or so, or, you know, second year or whatever. So when we came to Australia, it wasn't wasn't too much of an impact. We didn't really have a, you know, a, a solid friendship base, so to speak, as a kid. And I remember coming to Australia and then, you know, moving to Sydney on the North Shore, inland of the beaches, you know, having a creek going through the backyard, which is a real novelty coming from the UK and then moving to Australia, you know, playing in the creek with my brother. And, you know, I think that's the thing that, that I talk about the strong memories of my parents and I did spend a lot of time with my dad, but... I do have you know strong memories with my brother it was you know when you got a twin brother that's it you spend so much time together and my mum used to say we you know we made up our own language and we used to drive her mad just walking around saying these words that she had no idea what they were and she you know felt left out you know we just we just spent so much time together I can remember now just thinking back talking about that place when we first moved here you know rapping down the hill on a three-wheeler all those things that you do when you're when you're a kid and Young kid in Australia. You know, we moved out of there and moved into another place uh, in Sydney. And then kind of I grew up in that area and stayed there until, you know, I was in my jeeps. I don't know. Like I probably... Early to mid-twenties, I was one of those rebound teenagers or early teens, you know, where I left. I'm like, right, mum, I'm leaving home and uh, left home and came back home two years later. (laughs) Classic story. Classic, classic. This isn't for me right now. It's a bit too hard. Yeah. I mean, it was a great time. I really did kind of, when I look back on it, enjoy my childhood. what wasn't the easiest all the way. But I do have a lot of fond memories of my of my early childhood for sure.
1: And those those classic memories of the of the toboggan and of learning to ride and the and the three wheeler bike and that, yeah. that real story of mateship with your twin brother. And yeah. and a lot of us aren't don't grow up as twins, but for a lot of us that that mateship forms such a huge part of our, our childhood as well. So I'm sure that's a really oh, yeah. common story. And and it's beautiful to hear you talk reflecting on sitting on the your dad's lap on the on the tractor and, and such a warm story. Mm. But you you lost your dad at a, a relatively young age as well, I, I remember you saying. And mm. can you tell us maybe what that was like for you as a youngish yeah. sort, of a, sort of a bloke?
0: Yeah, I was probably around 21. Just to, to go back a little bit, when I was 13, my parents actually split up. Mm. You know, it was a real shockwave. And that was sort of my first real impactful moment yeah. if you talk about sliding doors in your life. I think that was a sliding door, which I didn't open, but that was a sliding door that took my life down a certain path. I think I really, from then, I really learnt uh, to suppress emotion. Mm. I, I I don't know why, but I think, you know, I wanted to be the one who was strong for my mum and my brother. Yep. So my my dad had left, and I think I just... I've always like when I look at myself now, and you know, you do these these tests and things at work where they you try and find out your personality. And whenever I've done it, I've I've always had this strong sense of duty and it comes up and i think even back then it was quite evident that i had this strong sense of duty that my dad had left and okay now i'm going to be the strong one for these two yeah but it just it just caused me to suppress a lot of emotion later on in life when i looked back on it and that you know it created you know even bigger things that 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 created you know massive blind spots for me and and not you know t- took me a long time to be able to access and look at my shadow side that's a that's a different thing that's a, it's another conversation we can have yeah <laughs> but it really started that started that happening there and I, I wanted to mention that was because my father actually moved into state after they got divorced so we were in Sydney and he left and he went to Brisbane yeah wow. and then after after about another sort of five years he actually moved to Malaysia so I I didn't see him at all for, for several years we stayed in contact it wasn't it wasn't like we we stopped uh, talking but he, he was just in Malaysia and it was you know it wasn't mm. easy to go and see him anymore so we'd kind of we'd kind of drifted apart. A little bit But the only reason he came back Was that uh, So he had a partner at the time and, and she had said to me Look your father's sick He's going to come back to Australia For treatment And it wasn't until he got back here That we could see Exactly how sick he was And he actually died two weeks After he got back here Wow And I can clearly remember Walking in to see him Being mm. strong for him And then walking outside And just collapsing on the ground Yeah And just falling to my knees And that was huge for me. Again, it was another moment and like, I haven't processed this until later in life where I looked back and, and saw how much, how much it affected me. But I immediately went into the same mode as I did when my parents got divorced for my brother yeah. and my mother who, you know, still very much loved my father, um, you know, even though they were divorced and I went a hundred percent into the mode where I was going to protect my brother. Again, the strong sense of duty in that sense I even did the eulogy at my dad's funeral mm. um, Because I thought I wanted to be the one to do that So I think, you know, when my parents got divorced I really stepped in and thought Okay, I can be the man here and and, and look after everyone And then that elevated at the, uh, again uh, When my father passed away in my early 20s For me to stand up and be that kind of protector as best as best I could Yeah, it really threw a lot of things into a, you know, into a bit of a spin. I I remember saying to my dad when he was on his deathbed, because he was in palliative care, because he was, he had terminal cancer. And I remember saying to him, I want you to know that I don't blame you for anything. Hmm. And, you know, he he couldn't really understand why um, I was saying that. And I just said, I just want you to know that. It was almost like I was saying it to him in case it came up for him. Not (laughs) that he'd ever mentioned it, you know, but it was like, okay, in case you're in the afterlife and you're thinking about this, don't worry about it. It's all cool. So, I think, you know, I I really had that sense very early on of looking at a man and going, okay, how has your life gone down this path? What, What happened for you? What was modeled for you? Without consciously thinking it But just, you know, you know, going through it And then looking at his father And then me remembering moments Like where, you know, my parents had split up at the time His father had passed away And I remember we were going to... This is a very clear memory I remember we were going to see Top Gun at the movies yeah. And and I remember the phone ringing at my dad's place And him going to answer the phone And then him just kind of, you know, short words Yep, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, alright And then hung up the phone and then we went to the movies and I didn't find out afterwards that it was actually his brother calling to tell him that his dad had died. Wow. And he was completely emotionless. Like, uh, no, I don't want to say emotionless. He just, he didn't show the emotion to us. Whether he was trying to protect us or not, I don't know. But his dad was, you know, and I didn't know my grandparents very well because I came here from when I was a young age and they stayed in the UK. But he was he was Welsh and he had a very sort of stoic, uh, my grandfather was. He was very strong and stoic and, and, and didn't say a lot either. So I kind of think I was... Exposed to that and I saw my, my father was like that, even though I did, you know, see my father cry once or twice But he was still very uh, kind of guarded and I think uh, both he and my mum were kind of like that a little bit, a little bit the old English yeah. stiff upper lip a little bit But yeah, it was definitely those two were two early kind of forks in the road for me and turning points
1: Yeah, and you, you talked about being... Being strong for your brother there, and you talked about being the man and and mm. and being the protector, which is all that classic uh, stereotypical mas- masculinity stuff. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm interested in how you feel your your life is now. You know, you met your wife, you've become a father. Mm and and i imagine you know you don't just drop that sort of stuff instantly being 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 the strong one being the protector and and being a real man like how do you feel like that stuff affects you in your relationships and and in your ability to care for yourself these days
0: it has definitely helped me care for myself now it took a moment in another moment in my life for me to really wake up and it hit me like that. It was really one of those moments where it just kind of hit me like a bolt out of the blue. When I was 36, I had um, cancer myself. I had prostate cancer at 36, which was found completely by accident. And because at the time, you know, no one was testing anyone under 40 because they just thought it was unethical. But we did just as a matter of course, out of a general checkup, that experience really, like I said, hit me a bolt out of the blue. I really started to feel like I had a purpose, but- on top of that, I really started to turn inward and reflect more for the first time in my life. Yeah, It was the first time I'd looked inward to say, okay, shit, uh, how did we get here? How did this happen? Why me? The why me quickly turned to me feeling like, okay, this has to be a, a reason this has happened and I have to make uh, good on it. And that's a little bit around my purpose, which is why we have this podcast. The inward reflection is what really came about from that experience. And I started to become a regular meditator. I started to read a lot more around um, Buddhist philosophy. uh, philosophy. Ended up going to university to start uh, studying a degree in Mm. psychology. And then at the same time, really started reading a lot of philosophy, particularly Stoic philosophy. And that was the, the time that I started to realize that I had conditioning and layers that needed to be unpeeled for me to kind of reveal my true self away from those family kind of influences and my social influences, which weren't the best at the time. After my father left, I didn't really have the best role models. So I didn't really fall in with the best crowd, even though I loved them. They were my they were my mates and we were all just as bad as each other. We weren't very good for each other, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, can tend to be the way at times. But yeah, it, it really started a journey of inward reflection. And I remembered at the time that I would something I'd completely forgotten about, that I had actually Actually, when I was about 15, asked my dad at Christmas for, you know, he's asked me what I want for Christmas and I was like, well, I want to spend the money you're going to use for presents for me on some books. I want to buy some books. And I remember going to the bookshop and I remember buying, you know, the Tibetan book mm. of the living and the dying and some other Buddhist philosophy books and I never <laughs> read them. Like they just kind of sat there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know where they ended up, but I must've bought, you know, I must've bought eight or 10 books. And it wasn't until then, you know, flash forward 20 years that I started to go, oh, okay, okay. This is, you know, when I was peeling back the layers and doing that self-reflection, this is who I am. This is what I'm interested in. This is the work I need to do. And it was then that I started to sort of go out and buy those books again and look at that stuff and then get into philosophy and start asking the why questions. And yeah, that that, that was that was how things changed quite quite rapidly for me and it wasn't that i added it was that i subtracted later in life to see who was really there because what i'd done from a young age from that age of 13 and then again when i was 21 was just kept pushing all the emotions down and away and and Anything that was uncomfortable to look at, I, I I covered up by just going out and partying and 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 getting loose so that I didn't have to experience them. And I was hanging out with a crowd of people that probably didn't, you know, like I said, were good mates and, you know, we had the best time, but they were doing things that I didn't really want to be doing. I was just following the crowd and, and, and going with the... uh going with them you know and it wasn't until later in life that I sort of started to look at who I really was at that at that time that that real epiphany moment where I was lying in a hospital bed and and it all kind of came together for me
1: yeah huge moment and so it sounds like as well you mentioned layers a few times that that it wasn't just that that one moment and you you just had this realization Mm. but it, it sounds like it was a bit of a process of peeling back layers and layers to get to the core of of what you'd heaped on yourself and who you'd sort of tried to be versus who you who you really want to be yeah
0: Mm, absolutely it it was and it it is a process like i always had that niggling feeling like when i looked back like i just wasn't having fun like i wasn't having fun with these people but they were the friends that i had and it made it trickier when you have a when you have a twin brother like because we we both like fell into the same crowd of people we always had the same friends as a twin i mean i know some boy girl twins who obviously don't have the same friends but i haven't really spoken to many other sort of Boy-boy twins or girl-girl twins To see if they all have the same friends Whether that's a common thing But we certainly did So it was a lot harder To separate yourself from that group And sort of say Okay i I'm not really enjoying this going out and doing these things and separate yourself from that because I just felt like I was in it and even though I wasn't having the best time I just kept going and doing it you know I think I was waiting for this moment to sort of wake up or waiting for someone to come along and take me out of it it's like when you're a young man and you you know you're always hanging out with your mates and then all of a sudden you meet a girl and you you, you know you, you you spend 100% of your time with them and you don't spend yeah. time with your mates anymore <laughs> i think i was waiting for that moment and that did happen happen a couple of times but those relationships didn't work out so you end up going back to your mates and you know doing silly things like drinking and smoking weed and you know All just doing that kind stuff. of stuff that, that just wasn't yeah yeah that just wasn't really wasn't really vibing for me anymore you know I can
1: really resonate because I've had similar experiences myself of realizing hang on a sec I'm not actually having fun here anymore why am I doing this yeah but it's interesting for me when I reflect on the cultural influences over us as men and it is those big moments that form us but it's also those Ongoing friendships and relationships and expectations that our friends have on us that this is just what we do as blokes We Mm. go out and we drink as much beer as we possibly can and then we fall over. Yeah, Um, it's quite a process, isn't it to to tear yourself? uh, Away from what everyone expects of you who's, who's known you for so many years as that type of a person.
0: Yeah, and mine was a slow process when I look back there's two or three key moments of mates I had that we separated, and it was by my doing. Mm. My intuition was telling me that this relationship isn't valuable to you anymore. You're not learning anything. You're actually being held back, being in, in this friendship. And, you know, those blokes, I, I, I do love dearly. It was just, it was time. You know, it's time for for both of us to kind of go our separate ways and, and for you to grow in your way and then for me to grow in my way. And that's the thing. Sometimes you've got to break that chain for you to be able to grow. Growth is never easy. Yeah. It's always hard. And that means that you're on the right path. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I've had a couple of those moments in my life. And then, you know, I've had other moments where I have had... And this is this is interesting to look back on actually and I've only just really sort of realized this and it was from following the holistic psychologist yeah. on Instagram and she's she's so, she's so good at, you know, you know, and I'm sure everyone has these epiphanies when they come across <laughs> her posts, but there was one it was about uh, trauma bonding and, you know, I realized that that I have had, you know, I've got um, a, a couple of mates one who I'm not so much mates with anymore, but that was for other reasons. Another who we we really did kind of bond around trauma at a very unique time in our lives. And that was around the time my father died and his brother lost his life. His brother took his own life, actually, and we were all friends. And his brother, his dad, passed away at the same time, and we are still the best of mates now, twenty years later. But we are kind of bonded by experiences that really shaped our lives, and it was almost like when I say you take those forks in the road, that we took a fork in a road together
1: at the same time. It's interesting. The other thing that you you mentioned earlier uh, about getting stuck in a group of mates it wasn't necessarily helpful i think you talked about mates as role models as well as you know that mm. that idea of role modelling from your from your father
0: Yeah. Once my father left, I didn't really have that father figure, you know, I have a stepdad now that my mum and he aren't actually married, but you know, he's been there for over 20 years. So he's, he's very much been a stepfather, but he didn't come along until, you know, I was in Mm. my early twenties. So from the age of 13 to there, I didn't have a sort of male role model, an older uh, male role model in the house. And you know my role models really were my mates and you know we would like i said we were we weren't doing the things that you know role models is meant to teach meant to teach you so yeah so it's yeah. it's interesting
1: as a society i see a lot of young guys who are growing up without you know that that real positive influence from a whole bunch of uncles and and male figures in their in their lives so i was just wondering whether you've found anything like that in your in your life these days whether you have healthy older blokes who are mentors to you in your life do you have that around you now
0: that's a good question actually. Um I think the role models that I have found and this 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 might sound weird, but role models that I've found are ones that I've mm. never met in person. They they they're ones that I have found probably on Instagram and then started to follow them and they were they were men that that I discovered that were that are very much like me, and the me that I discovered after yeah. I peeled off all the layers. And one of them that was a big kind of, you know, role model and influence. And I think I might have actually mentioned him when when last we spoke on the podcast is is Lewis Howes, who's an, an American guy. And you know, if we were to meet in in real life, we probably wouldn't <laughs> we probably wouldn't be close mates. I mean, you know, he's American. He's you know he's all about football and and plays you know handball in the Olympics and and things like that. But he wrote a book. Or before he wrote the book, actually, he he was he was very similar. He he realized that he wasn't really a jock. That wasn't the life. That wasn't the person who he really was. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to help other people recognize their mm. greatness. And you know, he, he he dropped everything to do that uh, after getting an injury and and losing his sporting career, and then. Really had a podcast where you know it was called the School of Greatness, and that's what it was. It was getting people on to talk about how they discovered their greatness. But where I really gel with him was that he wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity, and I just devoured it from cover to cover because it was talking about how the all men carry this mask of masculinity and who we think we should be, but then we also wear these other masks about the you know the the, the sexuality mask, the money mask all of these masks to pretend we are something who we are not. And it's not until we peel those off that we, that we really discover who we are. So people like him, you know, and I could see that I see a lot of myself in that journey as well. You know, other people that I, that I have followed and actually met um, on Instagram who are similar role models who might even be a little bit younger than me, but really model the kind of things that I, see in myself and that I want for other men, you know, and that's, that's really just to help other men, you know, realize their true selves and, you know, feel comfortable, you know, expressing who they really are in, in every aspect and every way. So it's an interesting question because I don't really have, you know, uh, I don't really have older male role models now who would, you would consider Mm -hmm. to be a father figure. It's almost like I lost my father and then I didn't really find another father, another father figure like that. All of my family live in the UK. All of them So it was only me, my brother, my mum and my dad who moved to Australia So after that, I saw my grandparents like once more after that when I was 11 And then I had never seen them again or spoken to them again, you know, and yeah, they passed wow. away And then my dad's got one brother, saw him at my dad's funeral and, and, and that was it So I, I never really had, like I was saying, any other older role models after he left Because there was there was no family
1: and yeah, it's interesting to me that you felt sort of gravitated towards men who've chosen to sort of pull those masks off, whether that be older men or, or younger men. I certainly mm. resonate with having younger blokes as mm. as role models in in my life as well. And maybe it's maybe it's men who are who have done the work, yep. who have had a good look at themselves, realize what parts of them aren't working anymore, and decided to just be more mm. of themselves. Whether they're into American football or you know whatever mm-hmm. their talents and yeah, yeah, yeah interests are. Maybe it's just blokes who are who are willing to do the work and and peel those layers off themselves and be more of themselves and more authentic.
0: Yeah, that's the the, the thing for me. You know, I, I really got to a point in my life, and after you have a kick in the shins with something like cancer, you start to think, okay. Fuck, i you know, really, really should look at what mm. I want to do in life and 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 really get at it. There was that as one thing, but then there was also like like we were saying, you know, is really living true to who I am. And it wasn't until, you know, I'm married now but before that I was in a long term relationship a few years before that. And after that broke up, that was another moment where I started to reflect and all these pieces were coming together. And I remember writing on a post-it note and sticking it on my bathroom door that I would see every morning after I got out of bed and went to the bathroom It just said, be more authentic. <laughs> and that was where I really started to peel that back and say, You know, and it was all like we're talking about all these things and all the pieces coming together, me not enjoying spending that time and, and, you know, going out and partying and doing stupid shit with that group of mates. And that was all these pieces starting to go, Okay, there's there's something coming together here and me writing be more authentic. And then, you, you know, having an epiphany while in a hospital bed of, you know, what you want to do and realizing your purpose. All of those things started to come together from from those experiences and then. I think the role models came from there because I didn't have these people like, like that in my real life It sort of surrounded them in a digital space yeah, to a degree. And then I met my wife and my wife yeah. is like a role model to me, you know, honestly, she, she has been doing self work since she was, you know, 16. She's about eight years younger than me. So she's been doing it for, uh, what's that do the math? Uh, you yeah. know, 20 years or so, you know, she, is the one that really inspires me to keep going and keep keep doing the work because it it, it never ends. I think it was Byron Katie who's got the book that's you know it's mm. called the work because it never ends. You don't just read a book and go, shit, I'm done. Oh, I'm enlightened. That's it. I know what I'm doing now. Good. You need to keep working at it. You need to keep working on yourself.
1: It would be easy if all we had to do was put a note on the mirror and say, I'll be more authentic. All right, no worries. I'll just just do that today. But it takes courage to look at yourself and it takes work to continually choose to be that day after day, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. Now I've got on my mirror a, a, a different set of, of phrases And they're all ones that I can repeat to myself Day in and day out To take action To make sure that I undo the stories I have And You know, they're things like you are worthy of love, you know, because when your parents split up and then your father passes away when you're in your early 20s, you start to question, Mm -hmm. is this something to do with me? Am I not enough? Did they leave for a reason? So I've got, you know, phrases like that that says you are worthy of love. You know, you deserve every cent you earn and more. You have infinite potential. And when I say infinite potential, and we were talking about this on the podcast the other day is that we all have infinite potential. It's that social conditioning that we're talking about and family conditioning that holds us back, you know, and and, and, mm. and covered it all up. So there's that, and, you know, it finishes with the phrase that just says you are enough and, you know, that's it. We are all enough to get whatever we want in life and be whoever we want to be. We just need to, like I said, peel all, of those, all those stories back. But it takes work. You have to do it every day. That's why it's stuck on a mirror because you have to keep reminding yourself.
1: Constant reminders, yeah.
0: Yeah. Constant reminders. Now I've I've said that I I do remember my dad saying to me after they, he and my mum split up that he was obviously having moments of self-reflection himself, you know, and he did say to me one time that he used to stand in front of the mirror for a period of time and say, you know, I love you more and more every day (laughs) because he was obviously questioning, you know, what he'd gone through. Yeah. So look, now that I think about it, you know, maybe that was that was part of a, you know, him being a role model for me. That was the seed that was planted, maybe that to to sort of start uncovering things for myself.
1: I think it's an incredibly common story, and that thread of not feeling like I'm enough, I feel, is part of that mm. that mask of masculinity. And it's interesting to me that you mention your wife as a role model. Yeah. I see my wife as a role model as well. Yeah, and I think for women, it's almost expected, or, or at least it's okay for them to look within themselves and to explore that inner journey. Whereas for men, I feel like it's not necessarily mm. valued that we explore our our inner world. So for many of us, sometimes that, yeah. that first step is around dropping that idea that I can, that I actually have stuff going on within me. I might have an emotion and, yeah. and it might not be a bad idea for me to have a look inside and see what's going on there. And when, when a lot of us scratch below the yeah, yeah. anger and then the sadness and then what often is sitting below uh, that for many of us is that feeling of, of not being enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. And look, I think, you know, when you get into a relationship as well, you really do need to start scratching the surface. We've just been doing a little bit of this right now, my wife and I, because times have been a little bit stressful of, of late. My wife kind of shifting careers and, you know, things have, have kind of been a few triggers. But then when we end up in arguments, I would find myself being very triggered and would just feel like I was being criticised yeah. and would instantly react and start yeah. to defend myself. And it had just it started to become a situation where it was just a loop. You know, we would just go back and forth and back and forth because basically what we were both doing was just triggering each other's kind of mm. childhood trauma. I say that in, in not expecting everyone to go back and have a look at their childhood trauma and try and figure out how to have a better life because a lot of the time childhood trauma isn't affecting your life now it's it just it was what it was but you know i think sometimes in particularly if you're in a relationship and you do end up in find yourself in in those situations where you're niggling each other a little bit about something you kind of have to investigate what that trigger is and i have and i looked back and and went okay and i can see that this has something to do with my mum because as soon as you say something to me and question what i'm doing it feels like i'm being criticised. Mm. And then I kind of went back and, and recognized that after my parents split up, my mum was probably wasn't in the best mindset. And that's all fair enough. She just lost her husband and was now had two 13 year old boys to look after all by herself. Mm. And it wasn't easy. So she wasn't, you know, sunny side up every day. It's and that's totally understandable. But it, it had had. A lot of impacts on me that I've had to go back and kind of start addressing. So that inward reflection can often be can be very important. And you know, I had done that work. Like I said, had discovered it myself. You know, by writing that. You know, be more authentic on the on the door. But that was the 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 first stepping stone. Another sliding door moment, which probably opened up the the energetic field to me, sort of moving towards finding my wife and in some way, shape or form. But then once we've been together, she has really helped me open up even more and dive in even more. And like I said, it's not always easy and it hasn't always been comfortable. (laughs) But, in the end, yeah, it's very valuable to do that kind of work.
1: It certainly reflects my experience of of marriage and someone said to me a while ago that marriage uh, is the ultimate container for for personal growth, oh yeah, and you know it certainly brings me great joy my my marriage and continuing to choose to be married is for me is continuing to look at those patterns of my of my behavior and how I am in relationships and mm. like you said, peeling back those layers and Trying to you know work out how to be the best version of myself in that relationship and the other relationship and I know you've become a dad relatively rela- yeah. recently as well yeah, yeah in yeah, terms yeah. of relationship skills having you know babies waking all the all the way through the night is another really big test for us as as men I think as well
0: oh yeah huge huge Bryn's only sixteen months old so he's still mm. he's still quite little and the first thing you recognise that having a baby. Is immediately going to trigger you. Like if you've got things, (laughs) if you've got trauma, like there, there'll be a little mirror and show you, oh, this from your childhood. This is, this is. Remember this, and you know you've got to you've got to look at that because it is. It's 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 triggering. It's easy to get frustrated. But th- that aside, everyone says this and it sounds like a real cheesy kind of cliche, but as soon as you have your kid, you understand mm-hmm. what your purpose is in life and that is to make sure that this child is safe and secure and loved and that that is it, there until the rest of their life, you know? yeah. I'm not saying that's your only purpose. We have other purposes, but that is your that is your key purpose in life after you have a child is to look after them. But I also knew straight away it helped to sort of reinforce all of these you know the again these are all the pieces of the puzzle that kind of come together you know i had that experience when i had cancer that that i knew that i needed to share this story to help other men on on any journey through through kind of struggle particularly with cancer but any kind of struggle you know that they could get through it and then it, it could help in, inspire them so then i knew that when i Had Bryn that I wanted to be the kind of role model for him that I want to see in the world as well, and that is uh, you know men that feel comfortable to talk about their inner worlds and express themselves fully, no matter who they are and what that and, and what that looks like. So he instantly you know reflected that on me, and it made me want to be the best man I feel like I can be, not only for him but you know for 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 the world as well.
1: Yeah, there's an incredible responsibility, isn't there, in in being a father and and knowing that the impact you are going to have on this one person is so incredibly massive. Mm. As as well as if you're if you're co-parenting, particularly if you're in a heterosexual relationship as well, that's how yep. am I going to be yep. as a as a husband in this space with a with a mum who may uh, have. You know, career ambitions may have sacrificed big chunks of her life to, to be the mother of this child. Yeah. How am I going to manage that dynamic of, of, you know, I want to provide for my family. And I also want to provide opportunities for my wife to advance her career. And I also want to be soft and tender with this baby. And I want to be reliable. And, and mm-hmm. I see a lot of men as well get, get into this space of fatherhood where we've almost been socialized out of mm. softness and tenderness and intimacy. And then you have this brand new baby mm. and a, a lot of blokes struggle with knowing how to hold this baby and change nappies and play with the baby and be soft and yeah. patient and, and, and caring when there's sometimes parts of our personalities that we've been taught to kind of shy away from. How have you found that journey as a, as a dad?
0: I became a father in an interesting time too. So, you know, Bryn was born like two months before Mm. the pandemic. So he was born in the January pandemic really hit, you know, in March and everybody was told to go home and work from home, you know, and uh, I have pretty much been doing that since then. I've only just started going back into an office a couple of days a week. So it was fantastic for him as well and fantastic for me in that, sure, I had my paternity leave, But then I have been in the house with him his entire life. Wow. So I have had this very gentle little soul with me all the time. So it has really opened me up Mm. in a lot of ways as well, but also challenged me. You know, I think I... Uh, you know, I, I fell into the things you mentioned. I fell into the the sort of co parenting side of things. You know, the nappy changing, the feeding, all of that very easily. I, I I didn't I didn't really resist it. I was already on the path to you know thinking about how we're shifting these you know male female yeah. dynamics and investigating my sort of masculine and feminine energy myself. Naturally, my two strongest traits are yeah. empathy and compassion, which can be a good thing, a blessing, and a curse at the same time. But for me, that that really helped me, you know, becoming a dad. But I'll, like, I'll be honest, there have been a, a lot of times where I've mm-hmm. been really challenged. Particularly when you have a, uh, I've had a baby who's just crying and you can't figure out what's going on. It, it mm-hmm. can be really triggering, and uh, I don't know what it has triggered in me. But at times, I'll just like be super frustrated and have to say to my wife, walk out, and say, "I've got to stop. You've got to take over. I I, I can't, I can't be there." Yeah, that's happened quite a few times, but. Definitely in the nurturing side of things, I've been I've been very good. There's just those moments when it can be particularly challenging, and I know you know it's not it's not uncommon for that to happen. And and when you're co-parenting, it's it's easy for you to kind of step in. In saying that, in saying it's been great to be with him and be home with him and be a father while you know I can hear him in the background while I was working. You know, they got a point where it does become quite challenging because you know, a masculine energy and the masculine is all about order and making sure things get done in a, you know, a structured way. And the feminine is about the flow. So there's been times where I'm like, shit, I'm not getting stuff done at work. And then you start to feel like, oh man, um you know, I'm crap at this. <laughs> and, and you start to question everything and things feel like they're falling apart. So it has been challenging at the same time, but to answer the question in in its essence, like it, it, all of the the natural stuff for for looking after a baby and co parenting, has it, it kind of came easy to me. It was just the challenges that come with that as well. But I was always willing to be there and you know help my I was going to say help my wife, but do the job with my wife uh, as a partner, not as someone who looked at it as like oh, okay I can take that I can take him away from yeah, you for a yeah. moment or whatever. It's always been us doing it together. And and I think you know right from the beginning, we're very spiritual people, my wife and I am. We you know. We were very into conscious conception and really coming together to to bring this life force into the world with us. And then we had a home birth. We did that all in a very spiritual way. We had a doula who was somewhat of a shaman to, to a degree. When we created the space, you know, we had him at home in a birth pool in the kitchen. You know, our our midwife said, "Oh my God, looks like you've created an opium den here." Um, it was <laughs> it was all salt lamps and essential oils. So, you know, we, we brought him into the world in a very into a very loving, nurturing way, and we did that together. We, we like I said, we we made sure we were we were doing it together, and and I was always you know in awe of my wife and and how she got through it. And, you know, we were we were side by side the whole way, making sure that we were doing everything to stay connected and be connected to make sure that he felt that when he came into the world.
1: I love it. There's a there's a real story of collaboration in that, which is moving away from that story of manhood around us us doing things by ourselves mm-hmm. and, and being solo and and you know stepping in to help out mm. the misses here or there yeah. moving more towards uh, we're doing this together we're choosing to start this together and we're we're deciding how how we split these roles and how we're going to work together as a as a team to create something special which i think is really nice
0: yeah absolutely and and i think you know when i look back on it as well that's that's the part of of me having my father you know leave when i was younger and then leave the world right. when i was in my early 20s is that i had to write this stuff for myself yeah and, you know, I ended up, you know, discovering who I was deep down and I'm like, okay, well then I know how to do this. I know the way I want to do this. And it's not this, this way of, okay, this two weeks of paternity leave is up. Yeah. I'm back at work now. I'll see you at five. You know, it was never that. And it was never babies crying in the middle of the night. you got to go and, you got to go and look after him. It was, you know, us doing it together, but, you know, doing it together to, for the, you know, so that we didn't break ourselves. But, I was never the one that was just like, "Oh, I'm going to go and sleep in the other room." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were always in it together. Yeah, I love that.
1: I feel like I naturally want to ask you now about the future. You know, hearing your story from yeah. the childhood to the more more recent COVID times, locked in at home with the baby. Yeah. What you know, reflecting on your story, what's the what is the future that you see for for Australian men?
0: Mm. I think we are. On the cusp of change We are definitely in the middle of a movement here Where it's time for men to be more honest With who they really are and be open to accessing all sides of themselves and their masculine and feminine energy and to embracing this change that we have with you know the male female roles sort of shifting oh. and looking within to sort of figure out how we break those shackles of the past and make a new way for ourselves so there is more equality because that's that's the way we are moving those old role models particularly for men are you know they're detrimental They are all about, you know, shutting up shop and getting shit done, toughing it out, not talking about their problems. And like I said before, you know, I've had a a close, someone close to me. Actually, I've had more than one person, but I had someone very close to me take their own life. And that was, you know, almost as if they had worked their way into a corner and they needed to change their life Mm -hmm. and they couldn't figure out how because they weren't meant to do that. They were meant to just tough it up and get on with what they'd chosen to do in life. And I've seen it happen and I've seen how detrimental it is. And to think that we would keep going with that to me is, is, is ridiculous you and I talked about it when we were on on our other podcast episode uh, and you said, you, you know, this is what we need to do. All of these things are helping to make this change. You doing what you doing, you're doing with, you know, mentoring men and, and taking them on the camps and doing the other work you do. This podcast, other male role models, you know, coaching men in a new way of living and a new way of accessing themselves. All of these things are going to keep this wave moving forward. And I think in the future, we will see reduced rates of suicide. We'll 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 see reduced rates of of declining mental health, and we'll see mental health improving. I think because we will start to access parts of ourselves that mm-hmm. were always there, parts of ourselves that we are suppressing, and that is doing us more harm than good. And I, I do see a world where where that happens. And you know, look more more men who might be the you know the you know simple things like uh, you know the stay at home yeah. dad, where the wife is the one that's that's being the breadwinner. We just need to look at that and just think that. You know, these things are okay. It's okay for change to happen. I think that's another thing as well. You know, I think in future we're going to see that, that that change is okay. Particularly when you have moments like this in time where COVID shakes up everything in the world where you're like, oh, okay. Actually, everything didn't come to a screaming halt. Yeah. We did have to make, you know, big changes and the wheels haven't fallen off at home. Everything's fine. It's okay. It's okay to change. And I think that's what we're going to see.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say making it okay for men to be, you know, more of ourselves, more of who we really wanna be at the mm-hmm. at the core of things. Absolutely. And I think the way you've shared your story here and and the way you continue to share stories on on the podcast, I think is an incredibly important mm part of the solution so well done thank you mate thanks for being part of the revolution
0: thank you mate thank you it's been great to connect with you and it's great to have you on and great to have you interview me I've, I've loved it this has like been awesome I thank you again it was
1: a pleasure and a, and a privilege to hear your story it's a beautiful story I hope you get many many thousands and thousands of, of listeners it's a story well worth hearing
0: thank you Mike and, and hopefully we'll, we'll figure out a way to get you back on some way shape or form I love our chat
1: <laughs> love it Ben cheers mate
0: Thanks for tuning in, guys. I really do hope there's been something in this season that's clicked and resonated. Even though this is our final app of Mentel for now, I'm not stopping the conversation here. I have a deep passion for men's work, and I'm looking to gather a community of blokes seeking to learn more about themselves. On my journey, I've found real freedom from the expectations that don't serve me anymore. I'm on a clear path to finding deeper connection with my family and my community around me. But key to that... And most importantly, a deeper connection with myself. I want to build a community in which blokes can discover that they are more than they have been conditioned to become. To recognise that we can no longer be emotional hermits. And instead, learn to strip back our masks and feel free to celebrate our truer selves in every way. In a somewhat tongue-in-cheek fashion, I'm calling this community Woke Blokes. In time, we will also be a podcast that can share the lives, journeys and teachings of other open-hearted and open-minded blokes discovering and owning their truer selves too. But for now, it's kicking off on Instagram under the handle woke underscore blokes. I'll be sharing my life and learnings there, as well as celebrating the awesome blokes out there doing the work to show us the way. Thanks for listening, guys. Mental is an In Your Ears podcast, presented and produced by Ben Jenkins.
1: Produced and edited by Charles Amsden, with opening music by Nick Kingswell and closing music by Night Radio. For more information on this and other podcasts, check out the Inurias Podcast's Facebook page. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and spread the word. And if you or anyone you know needs help, call Lifeline on 131114.